Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Thank you for choosing to join us today as we look to connect with the presence of God and allow Him to do His good work in us. He loves doing something new in each one of us. And just between you and me, I love it when He lets me in on exactly what He's doing. But whether He's working behind the scenes of your life or allowing you to get a glimpse of it, His work is always good. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. We have an incredible team of people who work tirelessly to help people grow. That's what we're all about, getting to know God better as we surrender more of our lives to Him and live out His love in relationship with each other. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. There's no need to pretend that you've got your act together. We don't. We have messy lives that we are allowing Jesus to bring wholeness and healing to. And we're working through our messes together. There's always room for someone new. Even if you haven't bought into this whole Jesus thing yet, or are skeptical about church or the Bible, wherever you are, we'd love to meet you there and walk with you as you figure it out. We're all on the journey, and wherever you are on your journey, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now let's join our service. Uh, well, I'm really looking forward to the next uh, few weeks as we begin our new series, Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks. With every ounce of gratitude that I can muster in my heart, I've been out of the dating scene for close to 30 years and will never be in it again. Should, should God decide to take Dee Dee home before me, then single I will be. And now, this will come as no surprise to anyone but I was not a dating Casanova back in my days. <laughs> I did not have the self-esteem to think that anyone would be interested in me because I'd been friend-zoned more times than I could count. Uh, although to be fair, I might not have been friend-zoned as many times uh, if I had ever mustered up the courage to ask a girl out on a date. My subtle approach left a lot to be desired. <laughs> like I said, I was no Casanova. So while I'm glad to be out of the dating scene forever, as a pastor who has performed either by singing in or officiating at more weddings than I can even remember, I have sat on the sidelines and watched how the dating scene has evolved since my heyday, if you can call it that. And it's ugly out there. <laughs> I was talking to an older single person this past week who clicked a link to a dating site re and recently and was overwhelmed by the response, and not in a good way. He told me that he hadn't responded to any of the women who were interested. My strong suggestion for him was just no. Just no. Don't do it. He's not prepared for the world of online dating. Though Tinder is the most popular dating app, especially among young people, it isn't the only one. 
Uh, You've probably heard of Match.com and eHarmony, but there's also Hinge, Bumble, and I'm going to stop there. I didn't even want to look at how many dating apps and sites there are right now. According to Cloudwise.net, more than 323.9 million people used dating apps uh, worldwide in 2021, making it a $5.6 billion industry, which accounts for 19% of all internet users. And the results are mixed. Only 13% of dating app users get engaged or married as a result of online dating. Of course, not everyone is looking for marriage. Only 26% of online daters have marriage in mind, which means that 74% are looking for other kinds of connections. You can fill your own blanks in on that one. I, I, know, I do know multiple people who have successfully found the loves of their life this way, but they are the exception to the rule. And they had to weed through a lot of yuck to get there including the romance scams that are on the rise. Uh, Romance seekers were scammed out of $304 million in 2020. But even after weeding through the yuck, most people don't find the love of their lives online. They don't find Mr. Right or Miss Right. They give up after one or two connections. But I get it. It's hard to find emotionally healthy people to date anywhere, even church. Dating is complicated. It's complicated when you are a pimply-faced teenager. It's complicated when you're 16 or 19, and it doesn't get any less complicated as you get older. Dating is complicated when you're 29, 39, 49, 59, 79. It's just complicated. So if you are dating, this series is for you. It's for students who hope to date for graduates who want to date, for singles of any age who are dating. This is for people who used to be married and now find themselves dating once again. And it's for married people who are trying to make their marriages better. This series is for anybody who is in a romantic relationship or hopes to be in one and is trying to figure it all out. And it is hard to figure out because it's complicated. But maybe we can just uncomplicate a little bit of this together. Because here's the deal. As, the, as a pastor who has helped many people get ready for marriage and even more people navigate the speed bumps of life together after marriage, I've found that it doesn't matter how much the dating scene has changed since I was in it. Some things remain the same. And some of those things break my heart. It breaks my heart to watch people I care about make decisions that undermine their relationships. It it breaks my heart to watch people make relationship decisions, whether it's in a marriage or dating, that would would make most people watching say, oh no, you're you're gonna do what? Uh, Watching people make something that is already complicated, even more complicated, breaks my heart. Uh, There is already enough avoidable, unavoidable pain in the world. The last thing we want to do is add to it with our own decisions. Now, I know that some of you already know what I'm talking about. You've had people in your life make choices that made you think, have you really thought that through? Have you really ever seen that work out well with anyone else? Well, it works out on Netflix. (laughs) But we live in the real world. Has that 
ever really worked out in real life? Has no one ever warned you about this? Didn't your mom or your grandma or your dad or one of your friends just get in your way and say, hey, I think you need to think this through. It just breaks my heart to see people unnecessarily complicate their already complicated lives, their current relationships, their future relationships with really bad relationship decisions. So I'm excited about this series because I get to be the one who warns those of you who are dating or serial dating. In fact, you might not even like the word date. For you, if your date doesn't end with sex, you don't even, well, you chalk it up to a loss. You're just in that place where you think one day, someday I'll settle down, but that's someday, not today. These days, you don't even call it a date. That's something from the dark ages, but you're something your parents did. But you're in this season of life and you're not ashamed about it or embarrassed by it or, or bashful about it. It's just who you are and what you do. You use them and lose them. And you're not always honest about following up. You say, yeah, I'll call or text you. And you never do. You're just playing games. And at the end of the day, that's your business. I'm not the boss of you. But it still breaks my heart. Even if you don't care, I do. It's, it's breaking my heart because you're hurting you and you're hurting somebody else. I know you don't, you probably don't even believe me, but it's true. You're hurting you and you're hurting someone else. And I'd venture, I'd venture to guess that you don't want to hurt yourself. You don't really want to hurt other people. And if you were sitting in my office, you'd tell me, no, Chris, it's consensual. I'm not hurting anybody. But there's such a thing as consensual hurt. Like we're both going to agree to hurt each other. It's consensual. But even if it's consensual and it hurts someone, it still hurts someone. And you don't want to do that. Now, here's, an, here's another thing that concerns me about people making bad relationship decisions that hurt themselves and others. And I didn't think this up. In fact, the framework and outline for this whole series comes to us from Pastor Andy Stanley and the Irresistible Church Network. So he gets, he gets the credit for this statement. The other thing that concerns me is that I don't want you to be a liar for life. I don't want you to be a liar for life when it comes to telling your story. Because what you are doing right now, morally, relationally, uh, these decisions are becoming chapters in your story, permanent parts of your story. And one day, someone is going to want to hear your story and you're gonna to wanna to hear their story. And depending on what you're doing right now, you're gonna be tempted to lie about parts of your story. You're gonna become a liar for life because you're going to have a secret. Maybe even a series of secrets or a season of life that you don't want to talk about. And when you get to that season in your story, you're just going to want to skip over it. I've talked to too many women who married a guy who only told her part of the story. And a year later or 10 years later, she found out the rest of the story and now she's brokenhearted. Because she didn't get to choose you with your whole story because you lied about your story. And the reason you lied about your story is that you're ashamed of your story. You're embarrassed. It doesn't paint you in a good light. I don't want you to write an embarrassing story. I want you to write a good story. I want you to be in Target someday with your wife and you see a guy she used to date and she introduces you. Meet my husband. Then when, she, when you walk away, she says, yeah, I used to date him in college. He was a great guy. Or we dated in college. She was a fantastic person. It didn't work out, but she was just great. That's a good story. It's the kind of story I want you to write. You know what else would be a good story? 
Yeah, in my 20s, I fooled around. I had a season where I just played the field, but then I decided to move in a different direction and I've lived differently ever since. That would be a good story. Or after the divorce, I went a little crazy. I, and I went a little crazy with the ladies, if you catch my drift. But then I, I just realized that that wasn't the story I wanted to tell. So I changed the direction of my life. You see, that's a better story to tell. You're writing the story of your life. It will go with you wherever you are. I don't want you to be a liar for life because of the decisions that you make now. Because those decisions will break somebody's heart. And I don't want you to be at someone else's regret when they tell their story. When your name comes up, I want them to say good things about you. Don't you? Uh, your name will come up in someone else's story. They're going to say something about you, and you are deciding what that something will be. I, I don't want you to be someone else's regret. I want you to be someone else's. That didn't work out, but he was such a great guy, or she was so great. Isn't that what you'd want someone to say about you? Guys, listen up. I don't want you to be a hypocrite. Now, here's what I mean. If someone did unto your sister as you do unto the girls you date, you might want to do something to them. If someone did to your single mom or your granddaughter as you do unto the girls you date, you might want to do something to them. I don't want you to be a hypocrite. I don't want you to expect one thing for the people you love, but another from the people you date. Don't lead a double life. Don't have a double standard because ultimately that hurts you and it hurts other people, which breaks my heart because it sets you up for trouble in the future. And ladies, I'm gonna go very cautiously. I'm gonna step out onto thin ice. I've never been a lady. So I'm careful about what I say to ladies, but I don't want you to be treated like a commodity or to allow yourself to be treated like a commodity because many times it is your decision. You know what a commodity is? A commodity is something that is bought and sold and then eventually discarded. And maybe, just maybe, depending on the way you've lived your life and managed your relationships, you've started feeling like a commodity. I don't want you to feel that way. You are worth far more than that. I want you to feel like the person of extraordinary value that you are based on what God says about you, not the way men treat you. And men, I want you to be, a, to be gentle men. A gentleman is powerful. Self-control is powerful. Deferring to the wishes of another person is powerful. Kindness is powerful. Grace and mercy are powerful. Ladies wish there were more gentlemen. Am I right, ladies? Ladies, I want you to do whatever you have, whatever you can control to get to the point where you will no longer allow men to mistreat you because it hurts you. It gets you accustomed to being mistreated and eventually you begin to define yourself that way. And I want more for you. And this series will help you begin to think differently about yourself and your future and what you let into your life it will help you write a better story. So to that end, let's uncomplicate things just a little. Now there are two myths that contribute to all of this relational confusion, uh, especially when it comes to how we manage our sexuality and dating and our relationships, even within the context of marriage. So yes, you married people should pay attention too. And when you look at these myths in broad daylight, in the, in the light of day, you can see that they really make no sense at all. 
but they still sit just beneath the surface and impact our thinking and our expectations about relationships. What they really are is unexplored assumptions. In any area of life, when you have unexplored assumptions about finances, business, or, or whatever, unexplored assumptions can be very dangerous because you don't know they are impacting the way you make decisions, which most often leads to bad decisions. These two myths are at the top of the list in my mind because they insidiously inform so many of the decisions in our culture, even beyond dating. And as soon as I say them, you're going to go, duh, Chris, that's ridiculous. But nevertheless, these two myths actually drive most of our relationship decisions. Let's call the first one the right person myth. The right person myth. Now, the right person myth is not that there is not a right person for you. The right person myth is that once I meet the right person, everything will be all right. Once I meet the right person, everything will be all right. To which all of the married people say, uh-huh, yeah, wish that were right. <laughs> Simply because I met him, because I met her, right? Not right, not true. The myth that once you meet the right person, everything's going to work out all right, regardless of what you do between now and then. The myth is, I can play around. I can do whatever I want to do. I can treat guys the way I want, girls the way I want. I can just do whatever. But when I meet the right person, everything's going to change. The past just disappears. So you just think you haven't met them yet. Or you met them and moved in with them. Or you met them and you married them, but things aren't all right anymore. And you're beginning to realize that you might have chosen the wrong person. And now you're looking for the next right person. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but this way of thinking fuels our relationship decisions. It often informs the direction we take when it comes to relationships. That I'm unhappy because I'm with the wrong person. So you need to find the right person. Then everything's going to be all right. But here's the deeper, more insidious part of this myth. Don't myth this. It's the assumption. Thank you. Uh, I'm here every week, folks. Uh, it, it's the assumption that once you find the right person, everything's going to be fine, including you. You think that somehow you're going to quit all those bad habits. You're not going to be interested in porn anymore, right, guys? Well, and ladies, because more and more ladies are porn purveyors. Uh, once you meet the right person, your insecurity will just go away. Your loneliness will go away. You won't be lonely anymore. Your financial bad habits will go away because you found someone with a little bit of moolah, and they'll help you manage that. It'll just get better. If I could just meet the right person, not only is everything going to be all right, I'm going to be all right. I'll be a better person. It's like the line in Casey Musgrave's song, which I don't listen to because it's country. But in Somebody to Love, she sings the line, thinking will be fixed by someone else. That's what fuels this crazy myth. That, but that doesn't stop us from infecting our decisions. It fuels our fantasies. When you think about the future as you dream about what if, if I could only find her, if I could only find him, uh, if I had only stuck with her, if I had only married him, if only, and next time fuel our fantasies, not becoming a better person but finding the right person. We know this is true. There is more to a satisfying, life-giving relationship than just finding 
or being found. We just don't hear about it very often. It doesn't make for a great movie or television series. It isn't great reality TV. What makes great reality TV, great movies, is people falling in love. That's what the whole movie is about. They finally find each other. You know they're supposed to be together, even though it takes them another hour and 45 minutes to figure it out. And once they finally do figure it out, the movie's over. They're together. Everything is all right. We love being entertained by people falling in love. But you know what? There's nothing really special about falling in love. You know what it takes to fall in love? A pulse. Falling in love requires a pulse. If you've got a, full, a pulse, you can fall in love. But staying in love requires so much more. And this series is about the so much more. But we're not entertained by the so much more. In a nutshell, that's the right person myth. The second myth is the promise myth. Now, the promise myth is basically this. When it comes to satisfying long-term relationships, all we need to do is make a promise. When it comes to relationships, all we need to do is make a promise. A promise replaces the need for preparation. A promise replaces the need for preparation. Instead, uh, you can commit, promise, or, or vow your way into a healthy, mutually satisfying long-term relationship. You can I do your way into a successful future, which is ridiculous, and we all know it. Everything that came before can be overcome by a promise and a party. You're going to stand at an altar and promise, then you're going to have a big party, and the past just disappears. You're going to magically be a new person, a completely different kind of person, because you promised. You can just commit your, or vow your way into the future with your spouse. Your new fiancé can promise or commit his or her way into the future as well. But promises are never substitutes for preparation. We know this in every other area of life, not just relationships. We know that this is true academically. You can't just promise your way to a degree. You have to study. In sports, business, medicine, in every single area of life, we know you have to study and practice and prepare for success. No soccer coach would substitute a promise for practice. Just a promise that we'll win, and that's enough. Practice is how you win games. Every coach knows you don't promise to win, you practice to win. You prepare to win. And this is also true in successful relationships. But who teaches us to prepare? Who prepares us for relationships? Nobody. Instead, we're told if, that if we just fall in love with the right person, everything's going to be all right. But it's a myth. We know it's not true. And the, the whole idea that you don't have to prepare for something to be successful at something is also not true. When it comes to, relate, to relationships, commitment is overrated. Because I do doesn't mean you can. You've been to, you've been to weddings. The couple in love stands in front of everyone, I'll love you forever and ever and ever. And then someone reads a poem or a verse, maybe someone sings a love song. But you're sitting there thinking, you don't know how hard this is going to be. I hope you have what it takes. But you know they really aren't prepared. They haven't been honest. They haven't dealt with their bad habits. They're immature. There are lots of reasons that stack the odds against them. They mean well, and the party afterward was great. But you don't vow your way into a successful future relationally. You have to prepare. Saying I do doesn't make you 
capable. Saying I do makes you accountable. And that comes with bad news because when you're accountable but you're not capable, you're miserable. When you're accountable and you're stuck, you don't know what to do or how to fix it, how to make it better, you're miserable. So you've got to be prepared. It's just common sense. Although when it comes to common sense in relationships, well, that's just not very common anymore. We ignore all the rules that we follow in every other area of life. And for those of you who are in a relationship or are already married, the good news is it's not too late. You might be a little behind the curve, but you can still prepare, so to speak. Singles, it's better to come to the altar already prepared. But for married people, it's never too late to do the work of preparation. You can fix this. You can't fix it if you keep trying to do what you did in the beginning. Keep trying to fall in love with each other. That's, uh, there's another way forward. Which brings us to the message of Jesus. This is where the message of Jesus comes alive. This is where following Jesus makes all the difference in life and in your relationships. Uh, following Jesus does, won't make your life easier, but it will make your life better. And bonus, following Jesus will make you better at life. Following Jesus will make your relationships better and following Jesus will make you better at relationships. You'll be a better boyfriend or girlfriend, a better husband or wife, a better fiance, a better parent. Following Jesus just makes everything better. Following Jesus will even make your life better before you decide whether or not Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus left us with one relational principle that is so powerful, so defining, that it will drive everything that we're going to talk about in this series. The teachings of Jesus won't help you find the right person. Mostly because people had arranged marriages when Jesus came along. By the time they were 13, the deal was sealed. There was no need for a dating app. There was no choice. Following Jesus won't help you find the right person, but, and pay attention here, Following Jesus will help you become the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Following Jesus will help you become the kind of person that the person you're hoping for is hoping for. Think about how countercultural that thought is. Our culture thinks that if I just find the right person, everything will become all right. No one thinks I need to become the right person, the kind of person my person is looking for. Which leads us to a question. Are you the kind of person your person is looking for? Or are you becoming? If you're married, are you still the person that they were looking for? Are you still the person they were hoping for? Or have you allowed life and kids and money and stuff, busyness to get in the way of what you were becoming? That he or she thought or believed they were entering into a relationship with? Jesus says, follow me you'll become. Now, just before Jesus stepped off the pages of history, he introduced a revolutionary new relational paradigm that was a game changer. It's incredibly simple, yet so compelling, demanding, yet also rewarding. It was just a few days before he gave his life away on the cross. He gathered his closest followers in a room to give them his closing pep talk. This is the, if you forget everything else, remember these words that I'm about to say. At the time, they didn't even understand what he meant. 
they wouldn't understand it until after the resurrection. It's a little clearer to us because we've always been on the other side of the resurrection, but it was clear as mud to them in the moment. But as we work our way through this passage, Jesus gives us our marching orders. He gives us the benchmark that should guide all of our relationships. And then next week, we're going to flesh it out further. For now, Jesus begins with a word picture that all of them would be familiar with. He starts like this in John chapter 15. I am the, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Now, I'm quite positive that they had blank looks on their faces. I am the true vine, and my Father God is the gardener. In every parable, Jesus gave us a God part, a Jesus part, and an us part. Now, here's, here's how I want you to think about your relationship with me. I am like a vine. Okay, got that part. At the time, everyone would be familiar with vines. I... I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He's the one tending the vine. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Why? Because this is the whole goal of this conversation. It's to help people understand how, to, how people connect to Jesus, and Jesus bears fruit through them. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Why? So they will produce even more. So clearly the goal is some kind of fruit bearing, to which we ask, what is the fruit? Don't worry, we'll get there. Uh, by the way, your life is bearing fruit. That's true for all of us. It's your reputation, the outcome of your decisions. It's the story you like to tell about your life and the story you don't like to tell. We might be bearing bad fruit. It might be all wrinkled, dried up, and gross. But we all bear fruit. But Jesus is saying that he wants to bear good fruit through us. And how does that happen? Well, here's what we have to do. Verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. In other words, stay close to me. Stay connected to me. Follow me. And, and then he tells us why. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Uh, if you take the branch away from the vine, it's not going to bear the kind of fruit that, that Jesus is talking about. It's going to die. But if you're going to bear the kind of fruit I want you to bear, you've got to stay plugged into me. Now, this was true for Matthew and John and Peter, and it's true for you we can't bear fruit the way Jesus wants us to unless we stay plugged in and connected to him. And then remember, this is the, if you forget everything else I've said, don't forget this teaching. He goes over it again. This is so important that he doesn't want us to miss it. Verse 5, yes, I am the vine. Uh-huh, you've already said that. We got it. You guys are the branches I'm talking about. Those who remain in me and I in them... Uh, here's the promise Jesus makes. If we'll just stay connected, we will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You're not going to bear fruit because you're going to learn how to be a fruit bearer. You're going to bear much fruit because you're plugged into following me. It's why when you met that girl or guy from your past and they were so different and when you asked them about it, they didn't say, well, I got up every morning and I made a list of five things I'm going to become and then voila, I became them. Instead, they said something like, 
I started going to church and then reading my Bible. And you discover that they became a Jesus follower and now they're so different. This is the promise of Jesus. Plug into me, follow me, stay close to me, and someday you'll find that you've become something new, something different, something better. And then when we drop down to verse 9, he unpacks what he means by fruit. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Just like God the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Wait a minute. We've gone from vines and branches to love. Have you changed the subject, Jesus? Stay with me here. Just like the Father has demonstrated his love through me, I have just demonstrated my Father's love through you. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Now, there's that same word he just used, remain. That's how we know that he's still talking about the same thing. So let's sum this up. God's the gardener. Jesus is the vine. I'm the branch. I'm staying connected to you, the vine, which is staying connected to your love, right? And we do that by keeping your commandments. We keep the commandments and we remain in your love. Exactly. So it's all just about following rules. It was so relational, so warm and fuzzy. And then I I just become, and now we're talking about the, the Ten Commandments. This doesn't sound any different than what we've heard before. I thought you were going to do something new. I can imagine this is going through their heads. Okay, what are the rules? Where's a piece of papyrus? I'd like to write these down so I don't forget. Okay, John, write this down. Here is my command. There's only one. Verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other. Wait a second. That's not new. I don't even have to write that one down. We've heard that one so many times before. But hang on, guys. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now, this isn't about love the one you're with. It isn't about we just all get along and love each other. This is a different kind of love, a very specific kind of love. Don't be just more loving. Love specifically. Focus. Love each other like I love you. Because this is about relationship with me. Demonstrate the love you received from me, the kind of love, uh, that kind of love. Love like I have loved you. And just a few days later, Jesus would take it to a whole new level. As Andy Stanley says, it would take their breath away because it took his breath away. On the other side of the resurrection, they would begin to understand that this was a put others first kind of love, a lay down your life for a friend kind of love, the kind of love that defers to the wishes and thoughts of the other person, the kind of love that forgives regardless of the offense, the kind of love that takes everything I have going for me and makes it available for you, the kind of love where I do unto you as my Father through Christ has done unto me. This is what Jesus means by abiding in him. It's not complicated. It is simply learning how to allow the love that God has for you to flow through you. 
Once you understand this framework and this framework becomes the guiding principle for all of your relationships, once it becomes the North Star for your behavior toward all the people around you, the people that you are raising, the people that you are doing life with, the person that you are married to or the people you are dating, once you have that down, you'll figure everything else out. This is how you become. This is how you become a person worth looking for. How do you move, how, how you move from finding, 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 and if you're married, controlling and conforming and pressuring, and I, if I can ever get her to act the way I want, then I'll finally be happy. And if I can ever get him to stop doing what I don't like, if I could just get, get them, shape them into the image I want, then I would be happy, which never works. But Jesus says, I have an idea. Just follow me. Learn from me. In Matthew 11, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls and peace in your relationships when you learn how to love like I've loved you. When two people get this, when two people embrace this approach to relationship, the result is incredible. But even if only one person comes around this concept, God does amazing things. This is how you become a person worth finding. But even more than that, this is how you become a person worth staying for. As we're going to see next week, this is how you prepare to commit. This is how you prepare, prepare to stay committed. This is how you make whatever relationship you are in better, especially when you're both becoming in the same direction. As we'll see next week, there is fine print. When it comes to the whole idea of love, it seems like almost anything goes. It seems permissive and undefinable, but it is actually pretty practical. And so, so different from the way our culture defines and experiences love. So in the end, yes, there is fine print, but the fine print will make you fine. And here's the thing, especially if you aren't a Christ follower or you are new to this whole Jesus thing, the kind of person Jesus wants to lead you to become, if you become one of his followers, is actually the kind of person we're all looking for and ultimately want to be or to become. When you look through the New Testament and you see what Jesus says, you're going to see that the kind of person you want to be anyway, the kind of person that, that Jesus calls us to become is the kind of person that you want to be anyway. Let's pray. Father, I know, uh, because I know my own life, that we've all had this whole thing wrong. We've all lived by these myths, whether uh, we've, we, we've consciously thought about it or not. Most of us not. We've just looked for Mr. Right or Miss Right. We've looked for someone to make us happy. We've looked for someone to take away our loneliness. We've looked for someone who can uh, be our security. But that's not how you've called us to live. You've called us to base everything on Jesus. And to, be to become like Jesus because we are following him and connected with him and uh, 
loving the way that he has loved us. Father, wherever we are on our journey with Christ, wherever we are in uh, our lives relationally, whether we are single and dating or single and just happy to be single or married and happy or married and unhappy, loving like Jesus is something we can all reach for more in our lives. So in these moments, Father, we'd ask you to just open our hearts to what you Uh, to the ways that you want us to love more like Jesus in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, alone or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That's the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you're on. Maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.